Welcome to Casual Conversations, brought to you by Momentum Ministries, helping you attain, maintain, and regain momentum for life. Let's join the conversation with author and pastor Scott Wade, president of Momentum Ministries. Good morning. This is Pastor Scott, and I am so glad that you have joined us on today's Casual Conversations. We have a guest with us today. He's been with us before, Michael O'Neill. Good morning, Michael. Morning, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. I am glad that you came back. I'm excited for you to give an update for uh, uh, One World Health. You you are the CEO of One World Health. You want to uh, tell us a little bit about that organization before we get your update? Sure. At a, at a really high level, our organization exists to provide quality, affordable care to our brothers and sisters in need across the globe. And so we started uh, the organization in late 2009 opened our first medical facility in Masindi, Uganda in early 2010. Um, and man, it's crazy to look back on it now, Scott, but we've grown now and we're in, serving in three countries. We've got 25 facilities um, providing care to over 200,000 patients on an annual basis now. And uh, to date, we've seen over 940,000 patients, which is just wild uh, to know that we are just a few months away from treating our millionth patient. So um, that's that's kind of who we are at a high level. We work in Uganda, Nicaragua, and Honduras. All right. Well, good. So so you uh, saw a need and you're meeting that need, aren't you? Man, blessed and super excited to be a part of it. It's been a wild journey. Um, a lot like taking a sip of water out of a fire hydrant, it feels like. But uh, but it's been fun to, to just be on this journey with friends and um, and a big community that's come alongside us and gotten behind our mission. Tell, uh, tell us, why don't you, um, how this dream, this vision was planted in your heart? Yeah, so a couple of buddies of mine, um, Dr. Ed O'Brien and Matt Alexander, uh, Ed's an ER doc, and Matt had been in nonprofit ministry before with, um, with Chuck Colson's ministry, Prison Fellowship. And so just an, just an idea around seeing a real need. It really kind of came from Ed's experience as an as a ER doc and going on short-term medical trips and seeing the need that's in that space and feeling really good about being able to meet that need on the first few trips he went on um, for five or 10 days. But the more he went, he, the more he started to kind of question uh, what happens when I leave. And so this idea of parachute medicine, is in, it's incredible that we have the ability to do that with the resources and the talent that we have in the United States to be able to go in and provide care for folks. Um, but there's, there's more of a, of a draw and kind of a need to meet daily medical needs um, in, in the countries where, where we're currently serving. And so, so that was really it. It was just kind of that, that tug on the heart to say, Hey, what can we do to create a, a framework that can do this on a more consistent basis and, and with some continuity of care and, and work alongside the local church in the process. And, um, and, and here we are 15 ish years later. That's amazing. Just, just a little over a decade and you are about to uh, pass the 1 million mark in patient care. That's uh, I I commend you for that. Thank you. And now I think as we, when we talked last time, you, you said that uh, there's still a place for parachute parachuting in. Is that what you said? That, That you come in, do a, do a, uh, a ministry or, or meet these needs and then go back. But now that you are there, if people want to do that, they can partner with you. And uh, I've got several uh, 
uh, close friends that are medical doctors that just might want yeah. to, to have a shorter term trip like that. So yeah, come, come on, come hang out. Your, your structure um, yeah, will complement that. It does. Yeah. We, we take about 400, between 300 and 400 volunteers a year with us um, overseas. And, and it's, it's a shorter medical outreach opportunity. And I think what's unique about what we do in our model, Scott, is that not only are they working alongside national providers when they're in countries or in country, and there's a lot of knowledge transfer that happens there. So there's a lot of teaching that U.S. physicians will do. And, and then, quite honestly, a lot of learning that they'll do alongside our, our physicians in country. Um, so, that, so that's one unique part about it. And we talk a lot about doing those parachute trips in a responsible way. And so we'll, we'll work in about an hour and a half to two hour radius of where one of our permanent facilities is. And so the idea is if somebody comes in and receives care during that week or 10 days where we're there providing outreach opportunities, um, then we have a place to refer them back to, to get continuity of care and follow up of care. Um, and so it's worked really well. And, and you know, we see it as, as a way to expose people to our mission and what we're doing. Certainly gives us an opportunity to provide care to folks uh, that are maybe further out from where our facilities are in terms of geographical proximity. Um, but there is that opportunity and, and we see it happen at a really high rate where folks are coming back to receive follow-up care as those U.S. physicians are, are returning home. You told me, I think last time, that a, a group came in and combined uh, maybe some church planting work or evangelistic work with a, a medical team. Is that true? Yeah, it's cool. So, you know, we, we see from a faith standpoint, we consider One World Health to be a faith-inspired organization. And so from a faith standpoint, we have uh, local church partners alongside all of our facilities across the globe. And so we work alongside those church partners to create what the ministry and outreach opportunity will look like from a, from a faith standpoint every time we go into a community. And that, in, that would include the short-term trips that show up to provide care. And so we always do, you know, there's kids ministry and there's prayer teams on the back end of people receiving care. And we've seen some really exciting things happen because the, the local uh, partnership with local churches are really creative in ways that they're providing um, their services and their, their kind of platform uh, for, for sharing the gospel. And so we have, we've, over the years, we've seen churches grow up and in literally exact locations where we provided care. A lot of times our outreaches happen in a church facility or a church owned school. Um, and so it gives a, a really great platform for the local church to do what they do best, which is bring people into the fold and, and then, you know, work on creating disciples and depth of, of relationship there. So if I, uh, if you have a guy like me, no medical training gets a little squeamish around blood <laughs> or what, whatever you might, however you might describe me. But uh, if I wanted to put a team together, somebody like me did and come, there'd be opportunities to serve outside or alongside, I guess I should say, the medical work is being done. Yeah, absolutely. So probably about 40, only about 40 to 45% of our team makeup as a whole are, are connected to the medical field or, are, you know, have some type of clinical training and background. And so, um, yeah, there's ministry opportunity, obviously there's opportunity for folks to, to help with logistics. And I always tell folks, when you go to the doctor, everybody you see is not a practitioner, 
you know, there, there's a lot of administrative roles and logistic roles, even as you just kind of go through the flow of a doctor's visit. And it's the same when we set that up. So we need folks to help with registration. We need folks to help get people uh, from one station, from triage to a provider and from a provider to pharmacy. We need people to, to just use their, um, their physical abilities to get things moved around and to set up and to break down and all kinds of stuff. So, so yeah, I, I am not a clinician whatsoever either, Scott, um, and love being on these trips. It's a really amazing opportunity and a, and a good time uh, to be a part of the services that we're offering. Um, speaking of trips, I think you just returned from one recently. Um, where'd you go? We did. Yeah. Just got back from Uganda a few months ago and uh, had a great time being in country. Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that trip? Yeah, you know, this trip was really special to me. So my wife, Amanda, and I spent the first three years of the organization living in Uganda. Um, and so I get to, I'm back at least once a year, uh, just in my role, meeting with staff and, and taking potential donors or folks that are excited and want to get a little bit more of a, of a taste and a feel for the vision and the work that we're doing. Um, but since we moved back to the U.S. in, in 2012, um, Amanda's only been over one time prior to this. Um, and we've taken both of our children. We have a 10 year old and a six year old. We've taken both of them, uh, to Honduras, but neither one of them had ever been able to come with us to Uganda and see, see that, that, that part of what we do and what dad does every day. And part of, you know, be able to share, um, the life that Amanda and I had there for three years, um, with them. And so on this trip, we were able to take our 10 year old with us. Um, she was nine at the time the summer and we were able to take her. And so it was just such a special trip. You know, I, I have a firm belief, Scott, that um, we're really created, God's created us with a desire to serve, right? And it's this idea of the upside down kingdom and this idea of that in, in death and in, in the death of Christ, there was, there's life. Um, and in, in giving we receive, and that's not just giving of, um, of, of dollars, um, but it's giving of time and it's giving of talent. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing in a world, I would say, Scott, where, um, where it's hard to get a group of people to agree on anything, you know, um, I think people across all backgrounds, whether that's different faith backgrounds or socioeconomic backgrounds or cultures or whatever, have had some sense of experience in that giving of your time for other people uh, brings a lot of life to you. And so for us to be able to be connected with our, with our daughter and as a family um, and see that come to life in her has been an incredible, such a great experience and has led to plenty of dinnertime conversations or random questions in the car as we're going from school to practice or whatever it might be. And it's been a really fun way for us to point to the reality of life around the world looks different than it does uh, for, for most folks in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, and so being able to have those conversations with our kids is, is a really special thing. So when you were there, um, your daughter and your wife, and, and you went to different facilities um, and uh, what did your day? We did. Day we had the like? opportunity to, to visit a couple of our facilities. Um, and we were also, we were alongside about 20 other folks, um, three other Four other families were with us as well. Uh, and we did these outreach trips that you and I were just talking about. And so, you know, giving my, our daughter an opportunity to be a part of serving others and um, their long, hot, sweaty, tiring days 
And there's nothing more joyful than being a part of that. And um, so, yeah, it was fun. It was really cool. Scott, you know, just from I'll tell you a couple of stories here. But w one of them was a, a girl named Annette. Um, and uh, she was about my daughter's age, maybe a year or two older. And we one of our full time employees had met Annette about a year and a half ago, but then hadn't seen her in a while. And Annette, again, I'm not clinical, so I won't get into all the, the clinical side of things because I'll just mess it up. But um, basically, she had a small tumor at that time on her on her cheek, kind of on her jawbone area. And uh, Joseph Alaguma, who's worked with us for a long time in Uganda, had met with her and her family and had said, hey, I'll let you know next time a team's coming in or or just reach out and come to our facilities and let's see if we can we can start to um, get you through the, the clinical triage process and see if it's possible for us to remove that that tumor. And he had he just not seen them for a couple of years. And so Annette shows back up when we're there on this trip and it's grown and the tumor's grown to the size at this point where it was equal in size to her to her head. And so it had started to interfere with her hearing and there was a lot of fear that it was it was going to start taking over um, her eye and, and, and her vision. And you can imagine what that does to to any kid right? In any situation from a social context, from a confidence context, not to mention just from a medical standpoint, um, some of the things that it was leading to uh, for her. And so we were able to connect with Annette and, um, and get her through our process, get her back to one of our facilities. And I want to say it was about three or four days after we left. So some local Ugandan practitioners uh, that work with our facilities and, and surgeons were able to go in and, and remove that. Um, and then she spent a few days in, in our facility in inpatient care and is now back home uh, and going to school. She had, she had not gone to school very often because of the social stigma that was associated with this. Um, and so it was just, man, I tell you, stories like that, you know, her story would have been so much different if she lived in the United States. Like, um, my brother-in-law is actually a plastic surgeon, and, and he was consulting on the case um, via via video and all kinds of stuff. And and he just said, "Man, in the U.S., that never that same type of tumor, which was benign, praise God, um, would never have gotten over the size of about like your thumbnail. You know, it would have been a simple outpatient procedure um, where they would have removed that." But over time, without access to quality health care and without access to being able uh, to, to, to provide surgery for, for her, it grew into, you know, a life-threatening condition, honestly. And, um, and so it's really fun to be able to see the joy uh, in, in her and in her family and really in her whole community see this transformation of a 12-year-old of a little girl. Um, it's, it's really fun to be a part of stories like that. Was your daughter able to uh, to be a part of that story? Oh yeah, she was. She, you know, she spent a lot of time. We we identified and that came in probably like day two or three that we were there. We were in country for about seven days, and and um, and then she came into our facility. And so uh, Mary Alice is my daughter's name. She was able to get to know her and play with her and hang out and share meals together and stuff. And so it was really fun for her to be able to see that. And then when I was able to show her the, the post-surgery, 
how different Annette looked and, and we've been able to, to celebrate that together as a family. Um, and we've also been able wow. to talk about what that means, you know, what it means for her to be back in school and what it means for her to run and play and, and have a childhood now that, uh, that she didn't prior to that. Hi, this is Amy. We at Momentum Ministries wish you a very Merry Christmas. Are you looking for a Christmas gift that will be enjoyed every day, all year long, and help you or a friend attain, maintain, and regain spiritual momentum? Visit our website at MomentumMinistries.org and order a copy of The Climb, a daily devotional created to help you engage with the Word of God daily. Order today to receive in time for Christmas. Said you had two stories. Did you? Ha- Do you have another one for me? Yeah, you know that another one I might would share just to try to drive home the the access piece. You know, it's a big part of what we do is try to meet a gap in clinical access. And so um, another one would be at one of our outreaches. We had a pediatric physician with us as well. She actually works at the Medical University of South Carolina here and and works in um, high risk pediatrics. And we had a, a baby come in that was had not even been named yet, was, was less than a day old, um, had been born in a government hospital facility the night before and was really sick, was, was septic when, when the little buddy was born. Um, and so his mother and grandmother brought him in and, and his blood oxygen level was like down in the 30s. It, it was really, really low. And we had recently, about a week before we got there, we'd opened up a, a NICU facility at one of our hospitals there. And it's the only NICU services available in a population of over, in, in a region that supports a population of over a million people. Um, and so literally, you know, pri- a week prior to this baby being born, his survival uh, opportunities were, were vi- very, very low, very low. Um, but we were able to identify the, the need. Um, the doctor, the physician that was with us and our team was able to identify what was going on with him very quickly. Um, and we were able to rush him to the hospital. We were about an hour and a half away from where we were and get him in NICU care. Um, and with, you know, with some support opportunities there and, and being able to be in an incubator, being able to get the IV medications that, that he needed, get him on um, – on CPAP and get oxygen in, in his body. Uh, I think he spent four or five nights with us in the NICU. Um, and then we were able to keep him for a few more, a few more nights and inpatient. And, uh, and a mother was able to go home with his child, you know, same, same thing in terms of the comparison of what that would look like here in the U S is, is that, um, you know, a baby born with, that was septic would, would immediately be given treatment and been put in the, in the NICU here in the U S and, and taken care of. And, um, there would be very little concern of survival. It would be, it would be more of just a treatment protocol here with, with what, um, he was dealing with. And so, you know, I think it was, it's fun. I mentioned earlier in that story that the baby hadn't even been named because he was so young. Right. And so through that process, the baby was named. And so really, a. uh, baby that's a day or less than a day old comes into a, a really dire situation uh, and leaves the hospital, our facility in a week uh, with a name. And, and by all accounts, we just got an update 
last week that he's doing great um, and is, is, you know, a normal baby. And so uh, just being there, seeing God's provision of that, of the timing of that, if that short-term outreach trip had not been there um, in his village that day, you know, the outcome would, would most certainly have been different. The, the physician that was there with us, the U.S. physician said, you know, he probably had a couple hours to live at that point um, by the time he came in. And so, yeah, it's, it's, man, I tell you, it's a humbling experience. It's fun uh, to be a part of, of just providing a very immediate need for folks and then letting them know why we're there. And, and, uh, and that this doesn't have to be a story that, that, that ends badly or poorly, but there's opportunity for, for good outcomes and, and, uh, and good stories to, to come. I, I'd say this, Scott, and I know I'm talking a lot, but um, I would just say, you know, one of my favorite verses is First John four nineteen that says we love because he first loved us. And in those experiences, it's something we talked a lot about with our daughter, like in those experiences, just saying look for the opportunities or, or look for the ways that our Ugandan friends and American friends are loving each other during this experience. And like all that, the genesis of that love and that outpouring comes from the way that God has loved us initially. And um, it's a, it's an experience with my daughter and, and, you know, it's my work day in, day out, but experience with my wife and my daughter that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Um, Just being able to share that depth of love that we first received and, and being able to point out opportunities in a real tangible way that others are doing the same. I thought of asking you, I think maybe you just answered it, but uh, you talked about your, your daughter and your, how glad you were to have her along and wanting her to see that, that life isn't the same as Charleston, South Carolina, everywhere in the world. It's different. Yeah. And so uh, she's, she's getting a different worldview. Um, how, how does this information, this experience impact your worldview and and how do you think it we need as a, as uh, affluent Americans to have our worldview impacted? I don't know if that's even the right way to ask that question, but yeah, it, no, it's phenomenal what you're seeing and and what we take for granted. Yeah, you know, I I think one thing I say to folks all the time when they come on trips with us is that your experience is going to demand a response, and you you're just going to see things and be challenged in ways that that you've never been challenged before and, and you're going to have experiences that you've never had before. And, um, you know, coming back and trying to act like that experience didn't happen and everything is status quo back at your, your cozy life in, in the U S uh, is a really strong response. And I think the Lord gives us these opportunities and allows us to be a part of these things. Um, intentionally for our our lens through which we see the world to be tinted and to be changed right certainly about the need that's out there globally but also about the need that your neighbor might have about the need that uh you know we talk to this about our kids all the time in their classes there's somebody sitting alone at lunch what does that mean you know what does it mean to reach out to them there's a very clear social and emotional need that that kid might be having right and what does it look like to interact with them in a way that might not be comfortable We've been in, our daughter has been in uncomfortable, uncomfortable situations now, you know, very uncomfortable, way outside of anything that she's known and experienced before. And what did it do inside of her when she stepped outside of that comfort zone and loved on one of these Ugandan kids? You know, that same kind of uh, what I would say is the spirit 
prompting us uh, internally gives um, gives us this opportunity to do that on a daily basis. And so, yeah, just just allowing ourselves um, to to be changed and be be transformed and and to see the world through a different lens, I think is really, really important. Um, you know, I think it's easy to have to have a, a, a sense of compassion when we hear stories like this in our constant newsfeed, we're being bombarded by input and information in today's society. And it's easy to have uh, a tug of compassion in our hearts when we hear these stories. But what does it mean to go beyond that? What does it mean to live in some sacrificial way to support uh, our brothers and sisters who are created in the image of God, just like us across the globe? Um, it doesn't always mean getting on a plane and going somewhere, but maybe it does, right? Um, but what does it mean to give a little? What does it mean uh, to to be a part of a local ministry supporting the poor uh, or um, the imprisoned or the widows or uh, just those in need around us, right? What does that look like in your own backyard? And what does it look like globally? Um, and oftentimes as Americans, I think uh you know, we're, we're looking for the path of least resistance and the, the, the minimal amount of disruption that we can possibly have in our daily lives is generally how we, we carry out our life. And, and I think we're called to something much bigger than that. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, our hearts have been stirred today as Michael has shared uh, these stories and challenged us with a whole different way of looking at things. We're so blessed to the point of uh, being um, inoculated to others' needs. Pray that you'd stir our hearts, but also stir our hands and um, help us to do something about it, to, uh, to do the response that's demanded by what we have heard today. Thank you for Michael and, and uh, the difference that One World Health is making around the world. Continue to bless them, I pray. Take them to the places they need to go. Give them the resources they need. And touch the lives that you love so desperately, Lord. Touch the lives through their work. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, before we go, Michael, I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, if somebody is listening today and wants to uh, get a little more information, give a gift toward uh, One World Health, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, the easiest thing to do is just go to www.oneworldhealth.com. Um, and there's plenty of opportunities to get involved there from advocacy standpoint, from these trips we talked about today, from a giving standpoint. Um, we'd love, you, love to have you join the family and the team and be a part of the work that we're doing across the globe. Well, thank you. And thanks for being on today's Casual Conversation, Michael. I really do appreciate it. Oh, I'm grateful. Thanks for what you do, Scott, and for providing the platform for people uh, to get impactful kingdom-minded stories out here. We're, we're grateful for what you do. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's casual conversation. Join us again, and uh, God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening in on Casual Conversations, brought to you by Momentum Ministries. Visit our website at MomentumMinistries.org. That's Momentum Ministries with two M's in the middle, dot O-R-G. God bless you and have a great day.